Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, my name is John Heitman, and I'm the chair of the Communications Practice Group here at Kelly Dry. And today I'm joined in the studio by Jennifer McCadney. Jen's a special counsel in our government relations practice group. And Jen, welcome. And why don't you tell us, uh, tell everybody what we're going to be talking about today. Thanks, John. I appreciate your uh, invitation to join you in the studio today. And we're going to talk about telecom and technology issues, uh, particularly those that we can expect in the second session of the 115th Congress. Um, we'll be looking at uh, these main issues sort of as they um, ended up in the 20, uh, at the end of 2017 and then moving forward. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at sort of three broad basket of areas, um, the first being um, mobile, 5G, and spectrum. Uh, then we'll be looking at at uh, access to uh, for rural broadband. Um, and then finally, we'll be wrapping up with internet privacy, cybersecurity, and data security issues. And then hopefully, we'll have some time to talk about some predictions for this year. Um, so with that, uh, let's turn to mobile 5G and spectrum. And uh, John, why don't you tell us about some of the uh, legislative items that we are looking at of interest? Great. Well, there is a lot to look at in this area of mobile 5G and spectrum. But let me pick out two, and then we can uh, sort of frame our conversation around these two. And the first one, I'll highlight is Mobile Now. And this is Senator Thune's bill introduced in uh, early January of last year. And it's got a bipartisan co-sponsor in Senator Bill Nelson, the ranking member of that committee, and actually has been reported out of committee and passed the Senate last August. It's got no House counterpart, however. But this bill is um, a signature bill of Senator Thune, so it's worth watching and it carries a lot of the themes that we see in other pieces of legislation across the uh, both houses. Uh, so what this one would do, some highlights, uh, it would make 500 megahertz of spectrum available. It would speed up 5G infrastructure by obligating federal agencies to make decisions on applications and permit requests um, more quickly. It would also speed it up and make it more uh, efficient to uh, deploy by um, imposing a dig once policy, a uh, very popular and um, it would also create a spectrum assessment, which would direct the federal government to conduct assessments of a spectrum in the three gigahertz and millimeter wave bands uh, to determine whether um, authorizing licensed or unlicensed wireless use um, is feasible, and if so, uh, which bands are best suited for that use. And finally, it would um, create a national broadband facilities asset database, and this would create a central repository of federal government properties or assets available for the deployment of uh, infrastructure. And so um, that's uh, the first one I want to highlight. The second bill I want to highlight is the so-called Airwaves Act. And this one also uh, comes from the Senate. It is uh, bipartisan. Uh, this one's been introduced in last August by Senator Gardner uh, from Colorado and has a bipartisan co-sponsor in Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire. No hearings or markups on this one yet. But this one would require the Federal Communications Commission to identify spectrum for unlicensed use and to free up mid-band spectrum for wireless industry purchase via future FCC auction. And so um, we see a lot of uh, bills that talk about freeing up spectrum and clearing the ways for auctions. And this is one that I just choose to highlight this issue. So, Jen, with these two in place uh, and all the others in the backdrop, uh, what do you see uh, going forward for um, 5G and spectrum legislation? 
Yeah, well, I think these two bills that you pointed out really show the importance of the interplay between spectrum and the need for spectrum for further 5G deployment. And I think that these are sort of really good policy areas for Congress right now. It focuses on competition, whether, you know, what steps do they need to take to keep the U.S. competitive uh, to play in these next generation um, technology spaces. So um, I think that, you know, the 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 Airwaves Act is certainly one important um, issue. Um, you know, one of the things that have been pointed out, this is coming from Chairman Pai, is whether or not, you any legislative changes need to be made in order to free up spectrum. That's something um, that the Energy and Commerce Committee uh, examined um, in a markup of an FCC reauthorization bill. Um, so sort of clearing the way, you know, in order to make this deployment feasible. Chairman Pai did say that legislation was indeed needed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before any more spectrum could be auctioned. Yeah. And I think if, you know, if that's the case, this really is an area where, you know, if additional spectrum is needed and Congress needs to act to free that up, you know, that could be one area to focus on. Um, Mobile now is sort of a broader broader bill. I mean, it certainly does have elements where it looks at, um, you know, what is needed for 5G. You know, it has been um, sort of the key piece for Senator Thune, um, probably one of his most important priorities in the communications space. Um, you know, but it really looks at um, bipartisan, broad, um, sweeping policies to lay a framework. Um, so to sort of codify moving to 500 megahertz um, for private sector by 2020, that was something in an earlier executive order. He's also pulling some ideas like Dig Once that you mentioned from Anna Eshoo. Um, and although uh, this really has only moved in the Senate, um, the House has had uh, hearings on individual pieces of these concepts. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, these are really just sort of very big, broad sweeping areas uh, that I think will be important for Congress to continue to talk about this year. I think, yeah, with um, some must-pass element in it, uh, in, you know, the FCC signaling that it needs legislation to do a future spectrum auction, I think it'd be interesting to watch what connects to that must-pass element, if anything, right. in this Congress. Right, yeah. But, you know, maybe that's a good segue. You know, spectrum is needed for 5G, but it, it's also needed for, for rural deployment. Um, and I think that was another area that we were going to focus on. Um, so maybe this is a good, a good opportunity to sort of move over to um, what we anticipate for rural broadband and expanding and building out in that area. I think that there has been a lot of talk about what can be done to bridge the digital divide in rural America. It has has um, been identified by FCC Chairman Pai as his um, signature issue, and certainly it's an issue that has garnered bipartisan support in both the House and Senate to address um, so-called perceived gaps in deployment and um, across rural America. And so let's um, do this. Let's tee up this conversation by highlighting some of the legislation that's out there. Again, a lot more than this that's out there, but this will give you a taste of what's out there. Uh, First one I want to highlight is the Rural Wireless Access Act of 2017. And this is uh, bipartisan uh, and uh, from both chambers. So in the House, introduced by Dave Loebsack from Iowa, and uh, co-sponsor is Ryan Costello from Pennsylvania. In the Senate, uh, it has uh, been introduced by Senator Wicker from Mississippi, and it has five Democratic and five Republican co-sponsors. Actually, it was reported out of the Senate um, and in August, and no markups in the House. But what this bill would do, and I think it's very intelligent legislation, it would require the FCC to establish a consistent method for its collection of coverage data relating to the availability speed tiers and performance characteristics of commercial mobile service or commercial mobile data service in particular geographic locations in the U.S. So this is a mapping bill. Where is the problem and how do we define it? And I think there has been a lot of criticism of the mapping resources out there today and whether uh, what's being utilized is inadequate. 
Second thing I want to highlight is uh, the so-called BCROP Act, and this is short for Broadband Connections for Rural Opportunities Program Act. And uh, this one is worth noting uh, because it ties to something that's out there and has always been out there. Maybe not always, but seems to be like it has always been out there. And this is a rural utility service loan funding program run by the Department of Agriculture. Uh, the BCRAP Act would add uh, $50 million per physical year of grant money to go along uh, with that loan program. And the grant money would pay for broadband projects up to 50% of the project's final cost and perhaps up to 75% in high need areas. Uh, this bill uh, has uh, broad support uh, across the aisle. Uh, Senator uh, Kirsten uh, Gillibrand from New York introduced it. Bipartisan um, sponsor is Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. Angus King from Maine signed on as well. And um, while an earlier version was introduced in the 114th House and Senate, no committee markups uh, so far in this one. Uh, and the House side has uh, been introduced by Representative Mark Pocan from uh, Wisconsin, and there are two Republican and six Democratic co-sponsors. In this area of raw broadband, one final thing I'll mention is the Gigabit Opportunity Act. And now this uh, bill, Senate and House counterparts, Senate side introduced by uh, Shelley Moore Capito with bipartisan co-sponsoring Chris Coons from Delaware, and on the House side, introduced by Doug Collins from Georgia, and 11 co-sponsors, all Republicans on the House side. But this Gigabit Opportunity Act uh, looks a lot like what Chairman Pai was talking about uh, back about a year ago when he was, um, I think, um, lobbying, if you will, uh, for the chairman slot of the FCC, and um, perhaps even beforehand. This is a vision of uh, providing some tax code relief. It would amend the Internal Revenue Code to authorize the designation of qualified gigabit opportunity zones in low-income communities and provide tax incentives for investments in those zones. So that's sort of a, a taste of what's out there for rural broadband and tax policy, grant money, and then um, mapping. But the missing piece, uh, I think, is no no infrastructure legislation yet, notwithstanding the promises of then-candidate President Trump. Right, and then also ensuring that uh, infrastructure legislation um, will include uh, funding uh, for rural broadband deployment. I think that's been another big question out there. But um, I think that all of these pieces of legislation that you pointed out to were things, ideas, I think, that could very well be included um, in, a, in an infrastructure package. Um, Broadly speaking, um, if if uh, if uh, Congress and, and the president can can come to an agreement in, in terms of what should be included in that, but um, you know the pieces that you've selected here, rural. Wireless Access Act, really important. That's the data collection. You know, the information that comes from there will support um, any policy changes. The B crop, um, it does get a little bit to the funding. Let's look at some existing federal programs that we can leverage. Um, and then, you know, the Gigabit Opportunity Act, you're right, that is something that Chairman Pai had had pushed. And, and that gets to, well, what kind of tax incentives can we provide to um, encourage uh, business to move in areas where they can't really make a business case? So, you know, all of these things are are very much on the table uh, to address closing the digital divide. And I guess here when we talk about that, we're talking about the digital divide in the rural communities, those who can't get on. Right. But I think that this um, is an area very ripe for uh, legislation this year, um, in part, as you mentioned, because we do have the, the brewings of this big um, infrastructure package and what could be included in it. Um, but it's also very um, political, too, I think. And, you know, we will talk about the midterm elections coming up again. But um, we have uh, President Trump 
Trump just as recently as yesterday um, signed an executive order uh, addressing this very issue. Um, interestingly, he did it in Nashville, Tennessee, and flanked by uh, Marsha Blackburn, uh, Energy and Commerce uh, Subcommittee Chairman, who just so happens to be running for a Senate seat there. Um, uh, but the, the the point of that, again, is looking at um, things within the uh, administrations, within within the administration's control, the government, the federal government. Uh, so, so this executive order would basically direct um, Secretary Interior Zinke to speed up permitting processes for installing broadband equipment on federal land. And this is also viewed to be part of rolling out the process for broadband development. What it is missing is, um, you know, show me the money. How, how are you going to pay for this? Um, uh, Blackburn had separate mentioned that or suggested that, you know, the funding could be addressed in additional legislation. Um, and I think that that's quite a possibility. Uh, you also have uh, an outgoing chairman on the House side, uh, Schuster from Pennsylvania, uh, who just announced that he's going to be retiring. He's the chairman of uh, transportation and infrastructure. He wants an infrastructure bill. Um, he has said that he wants it to be big, broad and bipartisan. So I think broad would suggest the umbrella is big enough to include things like like infrastructure, um, broadband deployment. Right. I think that's interesting because uh, in those terms in that committee, uh, infrastructure is generally thought of roads and highways and bridges. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is whether it will be um, big enough um, for uh, broadband highways, yeah. and there's digital a, highways. Yeah, and there's a lot of support for that. I mean, you know, Senator Thune, there are pieces of his mobile now which are um, targeted for infrastructure as well, too. You know, the dig first is something that neatly fits in with infrastructure. It directs if the federal government's going to dig for construction for roads and bridges, that it should lay one conduit for broadband deployment. So there's a lot of ways to pull um, broadband into the larger infrastructure discussions. Our last grouping of topics is the Internet. And uh, within the Internet, of course, cybersecurity, privacy and data security, as well as another a number of issues coming to a head in uh, Congress. And so I will highlight a couple. We can chat about them. But the first one I want to um, highlight is something that's pretty fresh, and this is the Open Internet Preservation Act. And this was introduced last month by Marshall Blackburn again out of Tennessee. And this is a response to the Federal Communications Commission re reclassification of broadband as a um, information service or not as a common carrier service and uh, the so-called return of the internet to light regulation. And um, this wasn't very popular with the public. And so I think what we see here is Marsha Blackburn um, backpedaling a bit and uh, figuring out a, a way to set a marker that um, she's prepared to legislate on this. And, and a legislative solution is something people have talked about, in fairness, on both sides of the aisle for quite a long time because this issue has been bouncing back and forth between the FCC and courts now for years. Uh, so um, are the Democrats going to deal? <laughs> well, you know, if you look at the co-sponsorship of her bill so far, there are none. Um, and I think that, no that Democrats, there's right. no Democrats, right. excuse me. Right. Democrats have not. Although, you know, I think there would I think there are some Democrats who would like to legislate on this. But I think the current environment would suggest that that's just not realistic right now. In part, you know, her, her bill does not include any um, clear provisions regarding paid prioritization. That's really been one of their key issues. But I think the Democrats Democrats are signaling that they have a completely different approach to this. Um, for me, you know, net neutrality has really gone from being a third rail type issue to one that the Democrats have really latched on to being a key issue for the midterm election. Um, Senator Markey uh, from Massachusetts uh, for some time has been trying to get support to use the Congressional Review Act to essentially roll back the pies 
um, elimination of, of the rules and, and basically reinstate uh, the open internet rules um, under the Obama um, administration. Uh, so he's he's uh, made a lot of progress in that. I think he has over 35 backers um, in the Senate, which would basically enable him to force a vote on, on it. You know, he doesn't necessarily have the votes to win, but he can force the vote. Right. And even if he had the votes to win in the Senate, he would not have the votes. It doesn't seem possible to get the votes in the House. Right, right. And I think, and then he also would face a large uphill battle um, because, you know, the president would clearly not sign this and it's, he doesn't have a veto-proof majority um, in, in, the, in the Senate, let alone in the House. However, I think what's happening here is control over the message. And I think the Democrats know that this is a winner for them. They know that millennials, um, this is this is an issue that, that they really identify with. And as long as they can keep talking about this and not give the Republicans any um, assists in, in getting a win on legislating on this issue, if they can keep it alive, I think that makes sense for them. And the way that they're looking to use the CRA, you know, there, there may not be an opportunity to have, for him to pull a vote on this, but it would be maybe spring, early summer, really good time uh, to have a conversation like this in the election. And there, the Democrats' role is, let's just go back to the, the earlier FCC rule. Interesting. Um, this is all, of course, related um, to the next bill uh, that I want to talk about, which is a so-called Browser Act, also introduced by Marsha Blackburn uh, back in May. And this bill actually has a Democratic co-sponsor in Dan Lipinski, but it's um, got five Republican co-sponsors. And this bill um, would um, restore much of the FCC's privacy rules that Marsha Blackburn led the charge to upending via CRA review earlier last year. And also very unpopular. Uh, I think that the um, public um, discourse about this was that the FCC was uh, surrendering on internet privacy and that the um, companies, the ISPs, would be able to run roughshod uh, with consumer data. Uh, now, of course, all that is um, what people say uh, to grab headlines and to raise money and to uh, get people energized. Uh, but this bill is interesting because I think um, – what Marsha Blackburn's doing here is that she's putting much of the FCC's rules into a draft piece of legislation and saying to the edge providers who were pushing those rules over at the FCC, how do you like these? Try these on for size. And it seems as though uh, there's not a big appetite um, to get the FCC's uh, more restrictive framework for privacy uh, into legislation versus the Federal Trade Commission framework, which is um, uh, <clears throat> uh, more comfortable, I would say, for everybody. Yeah, well, I think, you know, this was a really smart uh, piece of legislation for her to introduce. I think recognizing that, um, you know, the public's reaction to the rollback was um, very, very unfavorable for them, um, uh, for, for the Republicans who are in control of Congress. So, you know, it gives her an opportunity. She's got a talking piece when she goes back home to talk to her constituents about another way of addressing this. And I think she's been calling it sort of a light touch regulation. Um, you know, but I think just pulling back at it, pulling back and looking at it objectively, I mean, why, why would you not um, treat everyone equitably? Uh, why should co consumers uh, not expect to use the same sort of rules uh, no matter um, which ecos part of the, of the Internet ecosystem they're, they're dealing with? So, you know, I see this sort of as, um, you know, it's a messaging piece for her, uh, something for her to talk, to talk about. But um, like the open Internet legislation. So while I don't see space for legislating on privacy, the conversation will continue. There will be discussion and dialogue about this issue going forward. 
Sure. Um, let's segue here to a um, slightly different issue, and this is the Internet of Things. And, uh, of course, that is uh, something that's capturing everyone's attention, particularly with the CES uh, going on this week out in Las Vegas. And uh, the so-called Digidact is the first one I will um, pull out from this world. And this is the Developing Innovation and Growing the Internet of Things Act. And this one is um, uh, both Senate and House side. And the House side, it was introduced by Eric Paulson from Minnesota. It's got bipartisan support, uh, four Democratic co-sponsors, one Republican co-sponsor. On the Senate side, it was co-sponsored by uh, Senators Deb Fisher and Cory Gardner, along with Cory Booker and Brian Schatz. Um, and it actually passed the Senate back in August. No, no hearings or markups on the House side. Um, but this, to me, uh, what this bill would do is direct the Department of Commerce to convene working groups of federal stakeholders to provide recommendations and a report uh, regarding IoT. And it would create a steering committee composed of those stakeholders outside federal government to advise the working group, uh, largely focused on the uh, government's adoption of IoT solutions. Um, let me, before we break, um, bring in another topic about the IoT, and that, of course, is self-driving cars. And that is actually taking up a lot of the bandwidth out there at CES uh, in Las Vegas. And so we got the Self-Drive Act, and this bill is on the House side. And the bill would require the Department of uh, Transportation to complete research on the most effective uh, means of communicating with consumers about uh, the limitations of highly automated vehicles or self-driving vehicles. It would include some definitions. It would also require automakers to develop written cybersecurity and privacy plans, uh, hopefully to guard against those headlines where cars get taken over by hackers. And uh, it would create an advisory committee. Uh, it's a little bit more in the way of um, real ideas here as opposed to just ideas about a stakeholder community guiding IoT. This one's got some hard um, direction and a rulemaking in mind for the Department of Transportation. Um, what do you see here in this um, this Internet of Things sphere, and how right. do you see this Congress uh, dealing with Internet yeah, of Things? Yeah, this is one of the most fascinating areas, I think. And I think this is an area where people just really want to be legislating because it's so exciting. It's so modern. It's sort of like, you know, the era of Star Trek and Star Wars are here. Um, and so I think it gets folks really excited, um, whether you're legislating or in the space at all. But, um, you know, I see these two pieces as sort of counterparts. Um, the Digit Act is sort of that broad, overarching piece of legislation, and it's really a nod, I think, to the to the reality um, that technological advances have been just rapidly outpacing the ability of legislators and regulators to stay on top of them. And I think this this is an, uh, an attempt to create a national strategy on the Internet of Things. Um, you will have uh, federal agencies, you will have um, uh, congressional committees with overlapping jurisdiction, um, and, and everyone really needs to be on the same page, and there needs to be a framework for people to, to interact. And so so I think that this is really – it's bipartisan, bicameral. It's good governance, um, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, whether or not there is you know, space to legislate in this is another thing, but I think this is something that just – you know, it's, it's needed. I think it's Congress signaling, hey, Internet of Things is important. The U.S. Yep. is taking a global leadership role in the space, and also we don't want to be caught flat-footed. Uh, for when things might go wrong. Yeah, and the Self-Drive Act is um, kind of getting into the nitty-gritty, focusing on, on on cars, and this is really an area where the technology is already being deployed, and, you know, they are a little bit behind. Um, I mean, uh, I think Lyft is already uh, uh, showcasing some of its automated um, 
ride uh, hailing services at CES, as you mentioned. So people, again, are just really, you know, eager to see this technology, to use it, to develop it. A bill was passed out of the House last September. Uh, there was a Senate counterpart, uh, S-1885. It didn't come to a floor vote. And I think what happened is um, a, a key um Part of it, trucks, uh, fell out of the out, out of the legislation, um, and and the technology is already being deployed there. So I think if they're going to move forward with this, you know, they got to make sure that they have they have everything. But this is this is an area where um, I think that you know there are some positive developments. Right now, Jen, the last group of topics I want to bring up uh, are sort of things that are coming right from the headlines uh, that we are seeing uh, over the course of the last several months, and uh, they include the Equifax data breach. Uh, there's legislation, and there's always legislation, frankly, on data breach on the Hill. And one wonders whether that spectacular data breach affecting 143 million Americans will be the one uh, that gets us to um, uniform data breach legislation or some other legislation on um, cybersecurity. Uh, the next thing I want to bring up in the, under this sort of bucket of uh, headlines is um, the Honest Ads Act. And this, of course, is in response to uh, the news about Russia and hacking uh, in uh, the elections. And so this would require um, social media companies to basically use um, disclosure practices that are common in the broadcast space, just like TV and radio. And finally, there's SESTA, which, of course, is uh, directed at online sex trafficking. And that is, of course, gaining a lot of headlines and a massive number of co-sponsors on legislation uh, that is in the Senate, 60 bipartisan co-sponsors. And you've got uh, Senator Portman uh, today talking about moving that bill through and perhaps moving it this week. It, of course, has a House counterpart. So uh, with that sort of grab bag at the end here, uh, what do you think about the prospects for legislation on data breach, on uh, social media um, uh, political ads, and then finally on online sex trafficking. Yeah, well, let me let me take that in order of I think maybe least likely for legislation to most likely for legislation. But I, you know, at the outset, I always you know these kinds of issues I put in the category of you know reaction to headlines. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, members of Congress will have their own uh, 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 objectives that they would like to cover in a year, but you know, there's always something that they have to stop and react to, um, and uh, and and these 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 things fall into that into that that category. Um, on the uh, Russian election interference and the political ad disclosure, um, you know, this I also think has a little bit of a political element to it as well. I think everyone needs to be concerned about this, but I think that the Republican majority probably doesn't want to have a lot of conversations about it right now, particularly with investigations ongoing. Um, right after um, the developments were made public, um, Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat from uh, Minnesota, Mark Warner, um, a Democrat from Virginia, and we have one Republican John McCain and and, and others um, introduced legislation that would in fact you know do just what you described. Everybody should have to make the same political ad disclosures. Uh, recently, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has um, tried to kind of tone down, or he's said he's a little bit skeptical of these you know disclosure type proposals. Um, I just think they don't want to draw attention to Russia. Um, at this moment, but they could also point to an issue of ripeness for legislation because there's still an ongoing effort to collect information about the scale and whether the activities are still ongoing. And just this week, responses from social media platforms uh, were due to the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, and follow-up from a hearing that was held in 2017. So I think this is still going to be ripe for conversation, but I just don't really um, expect legislation, even though there's some bills out there this 
this year. So the midterms will go on without this. <laughs> it seems and like they will. perhaps uh, with some, uh, some self-policing or um, self-regulation by the social media platform companies of varying kinds. They've been experimenting mm-hmm. and um, trying different things. And I think um, – I, I don't disagree with you. I think that one is um, yep. uh, too hot to handle at the yeah. moment. And certainly more public scrutiny of these types of ads too. So, you know, fool me once kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, let's go to the the Equifax data breach. You know, I mean, the the data breaches happen so with such frequency. You know, it's just sort of like when, how big will it be? You know, how how outraged will the public be? After Equifax, the last huge data security breach, uh, Jeb Henserling, who is the chairman of the House Financial Services, uh, they did look at some legislation last year. It didn't really go anywhere. A um, little bit of competition from the Europeans this time around. Um, the European Union General Data Protection Regulation is uh, scheduled to go into force May 25th, and they're really getting serious about data privacy. I mean, they're looking at... Um, uh, imposing fines of up to 4% of a company's global revenue for not having sufficient customer consent to process data or violating any core uh, privacy concepts by design. Uh, they also are requiring companies to notify authorities within 72 hours of any data breach that's likely to pose a risk to individuals. So, you know, as long as the United States doesn't um, appear to be having these types of protections in place, although they say we have the enforcement, um, right. you know, I think... So said the U.S. is better at enforcing, the Europeans are better right. at regulating. Right. There's one bill that was introduced by Debbie Dingell. She's a Democrat. Democrat from Michigan. She's on the Energy and Commerce Committee. But she um, uh, introduced a bill that would would require the Federal Trade Commission to prescribe rules for protecting sensitive, personally identifiable information against a security breach. Um, And I think overall, uh, privacy data breaches will continue to be a really important area uh, for Congress to focus on this year, uh, because I'm sure there'll be another data breach at some point. Um, And then finally, SESTA. Uh, and I think this area is probably pretty ripe for um, for legislation. Uh, you know, just very, very recently, um, Senator Portman, who's a leading co-sponsor uh, of the act, um, is pressing the Senate to, to vote on it by this Thursday, which just also happens to be National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. I mean, this is just a very... Um, it's a heart-wrenching issue, um, and I think it's going to be very hard for members of Congress to ignore without doing everything, anything about it. Um, it has more than 60 co-sponsors right now in the Senate, so it could overcome a filibuster. There's a House counterpart, um, which has been um, subject to some criticism from the, the, the SESTA victim community because it's been watered down a bit. Um, but I think that it's quite possible for the bill to pass in the Senate, and if so— I don't see what would stop the House from taking up that version. So out of the group of three, SESTA the most likely to move forward. And uh, we'll continue to muddle through on uh, political ads and uh, probably data breaches. So uh, with that sort of roundup, any parting thoughts for uh, legislation in this coming Congress in the tech space? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation that because it is an election year, we have the midterms coming up, that, you know, it's going to be kind of a dry season for legislation. But I don't necessarily think that's the case because I think, um, you know, members are going to have to go home and have some things to talk about. Um, and tax reform will only get some members so far. Uh, it was purely, purely a partisan effort, and I think um, that there are um, a number of other things that they can accomplish. Are there things out there that the Democrats want to go home and say they legislated on, or are they um, uh, okay to just be given the stiff arm at this point and go home and uh, say the Republicans created 
this mass or that mass? I think that on certain hot topic issues, you know, we touched on some of those with net neutrality. You know, they don't want any legislative victories there. But I think that there could maybe be— Maybe on SESTA, though. Maybe on SESTA, maybe on infrastructure. You know, right. I mean, as long as it's bipartisan, if it's done with, with bipartisan support, I think that that's a good thing. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of, um, of uh, you know, the issues that the, that the telecom uh, committees want to pass, um, you know, Things like net neutrality, uh, again, you know, we just talked about that being a big messaging showdown. And I think with, the, you know, the Democrats are actually emboldened, I think, a bit after that tax vote because they did not lose one red state Democrat. Um, I think they can really hold hold the line on net neutrality as well. Uh, so I, I would look for success in things um, where you can shoehorn, you know, the, the telecom and tech issues and like infrastructure. Um, and I think that's, that's a good space for 5G spectrum, broadband rural deployment. I think you could put a lot of things into that basket. And if uh, outgoing uh, Chairman Schuster suggested it can be Bipartisan, and he said he, that's really one, what what he is looking for. That would be a you know success in his column. I think that's quite doable. Um, and then finally, you know, just again the sort of in terms of the headline grabbing, uh, reactionary type uh, bills that everyone has to really just step up and say, look, we did the right thing. Um, you know, in my mind, Sesta sort of leads the pack among those. It'll be interesting to see what happens and how things play out in the midterm elections. Thanks uh, so much for joining me today. It was fun talking about these issues. Thanks. I enjoyed being here. All right. Take care. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff or management.